And welcome to the latest edition of Building Pennsylvania podcast. I'm Chris Martin with Atlas Marketing. And I'm John O'Brien from the Keystone Contractors Association. And today we are going to talk, be talking with Michael Metz-Tapotis of Cohen Seglius. And we are going to be also talking primarily and asking Michael's input on CASPA law and how that affects contractors throughout the Commonwealth. Um, Michael, thanks for being here. Uh, yeah, welcome, Michael. Yeah, it's great to be here. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. I, I know we have a lot of a uh, lot of questions, so um, let's let's dive in here. And uh, John, I know you wanted to lead lead with the first one, so let's let's go from there. Yeah, um, Michael, how about we start real basic, and how about just kind of explain what is CASPA, the Construction and Subcontractor Prompt Payment Act? Exactly, John. You, yeah. you said it best. The Contractor and Subcontractor Payment Act, uh, generally speaking, is a statute in Pennsylvania. It applies to private projects and it outlines uh, certain requirements regarding payment uh, to both uh, contractors and subcontractors. In particular, it allows for either contractors or subcontractors to obtain additional relief beyond what they might be able to get in the contract or under Pennsylvania contract law, additional relief where they uh, those contractors or subcontractors have not been paid under the terms and conditions of their contracts. In particular, um, it allows for uh, an additional 1% interest penalty per month, um, uh, or sorry, 1% yearly interest that's calculated per month uh, on any unpaid balance. And as well, one of the most uh, aggressive features of it is it allows for a contractor or subcontractor who has not been paid uh, to recover its legal fees for any uh, litigation or other legal action it needs to take to get itself paid. Uh, that's generally what the statute does. There are a lot of details that it provides for as to how you go about that. Um, but in essence, it was created to protect contractors and subcontractors uh, to give a little extra ammunition for them to make sure that they're paid for work performed on a project. Um, and that should be work that is undisputed with respect to the amount. What a way to uh, lead us off here. We're setting a nice foundation there because we're talking a little CASPA today. Michael did an awesome job there. And um, as uh, both, you know, Chris and Michael, as you both know, KCA does a lot with the uh, with with politics and the Harrisburg state capital and it seems as though with CASPA every uh you know two to three years every few years this issue pops up and there's a, a movement afoot amongst the construction industry to kind of tweak tweak uh CASPA a little bit and uh, improve it and one of those uh one of those happenings one of those tweakings came along last session and House Bill 566 came which passed through the the legislature and governor wolf signed as act 27 and are you um you're pretty well versed on that on that piece of legislation aren't you michael you want to touch on that for a little bit and see how that changed caspa no doubt as, as most of the construction bar was uh certainly well attuned to what was going on with the changes to caspa we saw it coming and we all eagerly awaited uh back in october of 2018 uh, when that bill uh, became law after it was signed a few months earlier. Um, it, it was uh, certainly a, an, an interesting and compelling change um, 
to how CASPA was structured. I, I believe it came out of, um, you know, a push from some of the subcontractors to afford them the opportunity to recover and still enjoy the benefits of CASPA because they were, they were being pushed in certain instances um, to forego uh, some of the rights that they may have otherwise had. Um, there are several changes that, that the law created for CASPA, but I really will only focus on um, the three major ones uh, that, that became a, the focus of a lot of the um, literature and a lot of the, the discussions that the bar had regarding the changes. The first one involved waiver. Uh, essentially, the statute provided that any contract that um, asks or, or purports to have an agreement by a contractor or a subcontractor to waive uh, that entity's rights under CASPA, that provision, no matter how many times people agreed to it, signed it, initialed it, whatever, is null and void and unenforceable under Pennsylvania law. Uh, so that was the first revision there and made it easy for contractors and subcontractors with uh, regarding those provisions because they could sign the contract and not have to worry about waiving their CASPA rights because it's unenforceable. And it's one less thing to negotiate uh, you know, during the course of, of ramping up to getting started on a job. Uh, the second provision or the second change that Ka the amended CASPA rendered Concerned on concerned suspension of work uh, for either contractors or subcontractors, and it outlined uh, a schedule uh, that was sort of the, the floor by which uh, a uh, contractor or subcontractor could effectively suspend work. Oftentimes, construction contracts will have provisions that require a subcontractor or a contractor to keep on working despite disputes about payment. This change, though, was to make sure that if it's an undisputed amount, um, then a subcontractor would not have to keep, you know, essentially working for free uh, or, or, or financing a job. That's sort of the complaint you hear often um, from those in the industry. You know, I keep working, I'm financing the job. And so this uh, these provisions now allow for a, uh, a contractor or subcontractor to walk away only if certain procedures are followed. So first you have to wait for uh, the billing period and the payment due date uh, to expire. So at 30 days uh, past the payment due date, a contractor or subcontractor can send written notice uh, to the owner or to the, con the general contractor for whom it has a, an agreement, notifying that person, uh, that entity that payment has not been received. At that point, however, the contractor or subcontractor still has to keep on working. And another 30 days needs to go by, at which point a second notice would be sent. Now, I certainly recommend um, that those notices identify the amount owed, identify uh, the 30 days has passed, identify the statutory provisions, um, and then also remind the, the contractor or the owner um, that if payment is not received, that uh, in accordance with CASPA, uh, work would be suspended. So after the second 30 days, you send a second notice providing uh, all of the information I talked about earlier, as well as uh, notifying uh, the recipient that after another 10 days of non-payment, uh, the contractor or subcontractor will have a right to suspend work and will exercise that road, right. Uh, and importantly too, that second notice must also go to the owner. That's in particular for subcontractors. Obviously the, the general contractor is already gonna be notifying the owner, but for subcontractors, they need to make sure the owner gets a copy of that second notice. Uh, for obvious reasons, uh, an owner doesn't want to see its project uh, upended or, or uh, um, 
paused for any reason, uh, especially if it can make sure that just by putting a little pressure on the general contractor, it can keep the project moving along. Um, and as well, as you can see, there's an obvious benefit to the subcontractors too. So these are the procedures that uh, uh, somebody out in the field needs to follow in order to make sure uh, that they can properly suspend work on a project for non-payment of, again, undisputed amounts. Um, you can have this schedule shortened. I called it a floor earlier. Um, you can have it uh, shortened by way of contractual agreement, but you cannot have it lengthened. So any contract that uh, that has terms and conditions that lengthen any of these periods for notice and suspension, uh, they too would be null and void under CASPA, um, and and therefore um, uh, it would default to what is provided for in the statute. Hmm. The final um, major change uh, that the amended uh, CASPER created concerned the withholding of amounts owed. Um, a, an owner or a contractor can withhold amounts from the general contractor or a subcontractor um, for deficient work. However, uh, now under the new CASPA, that owner or general contractor must provide uh, a notice of the withholding uh, and an explanation for the reason for the withholding, uh, and must do so from within 14 days of the decision to withhold. Uh, I, that applies irrespective of what other contractual requirements might be, and also in terms of whatever payment schedule might be there. So once the decision's made about withholding, uh, there needs to be a notice provided. If, however, the owner or the general contractor fails to provide this notice, uh, then the right to withhold is waived, and the payment must be made. Uh, so that's a very important provision. It serves you know, two functions. One, it allows the um, subcontractor um, or the general contractor, whomever uh, it may apply, whatever the case may be, it allows that entity to correct any work that might be deficient or address the reason for uh, the withholding. Um, and, and as well, um, it ensures that uh, if an owner isn't conscientious and just withholds the money but doesn't have a good reason or cannot provide one, um, then there isn't an unnecessary dispute over arbitrary withholdings um, and that the parties can, uh, that this isn't used as leverage over a contractor or a subcontractor um, for their work on the project. I know a lot of that gets you know down into the weeds as to how all these things operate, and certainly we've given a, given a very um, you know, rest, a precise recitation as to how these provisions operate. I think, though, that anybody out in the field can see um, that with all of these measures in place, um, it changes the dynamic as to how a, uh, a project would proceed. And it gives a, a great deal of advantage to contractors and subcontractors in the, in, in the event that they are denied payment that they are otherwise entitled to. Um, and so it affords that, you know, money is flowing properly, um, that there isn't, there aren't suspensions of payments, um, you know, for um, reasons that aren't justified, uh, and it ensures that a project moves efficiently uh, in a manner that's beneficial to everyone. Very, uh, very thoroughly explained there. Thank you, Michael, for that. No um, problem. Yeah, for the third item though, the the withholding, mm -hmm. that does that notice have to be written, or can that be an oral, an oral uh, statement from the owner and or GC? Uh, no, that's written notice. Written? Okay. Yeah, just thought so. Just wanted to make sure about that. Um, and then as far as the uh, suspension of work, there's quite a few notices that, that you mentioned. 
So if you if you max out on all those notices, you're getting close to 100 days, I believe, right? It could be that long, depending upon you know how the uh, payment schedules are set up in the original agreement. Yes, uh, and that was one of the critiques that was brought out. And some people said, "Well, wait a second, uh, you know that's terrific. I can suspend work, but my goodness, you know it'll, it'll be so long. I might already be done with my work. If you're an excavator on a small project, you might be done by the time uh, it comes time to suspend." So. Yes, on the one hand, there's a certain benefit, but uh, that that practical consideration was noted. That that said, John, there is a possibility that those who do have a shorter time frame for for work on a project could negotiate uh, perhaps a more favorable schedule. It just depends upon whether uh, it's worth it to the subcontractor, and that really comes down to a business decision. But I'm glad you asked that question because it really gets down into uh, the intersection as to what the law provides, and then how it really operates for guys out on the field. Yeah, uh, those those sometimes can be two different things. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, the site work. I was thinking that as well for the site work, but then also as far as the small, you know, mom and pa shops that get in there might do a little uh, interior work, and they're they're done in a week or so. You know, their work's long gone, and they're the people that probably need this law the most, and they have to wait for a long amount of time like that. So I'm just thinking out loud here. <laughs> well, they, they might have to wait, but you're, I think the other point is it just might not apply to them, uh, and I think that's what you're getting at as well, and it's a good point. It's, okay, fine, so they can't suspend their work. Um, they finish it, and they move on. All the other protections that CASPA affords remain. And so if there is no dispute from the owner about the, that the work was performed and the money is owed, and for whatever reason that owner or general contractor doesn't want to pay, they're going to be subject to that 1% penalty, among others, uh, and as well subject to attorney's fees uh, for the collection. And if it's a small enough amount, those attorney's fees could be a substantial portion of the amount uh, you know, that entity is, that business is seeking to get paid. Um, and and that, that's a great advantage, too, to a lot of those small mom and pop shops, John, because, yes. because you know, oftentimes uh, those entities would forego their rights and just say, ah, well, I can't go. I can't go off that money. It'll cost me too much money to get what I'm seeking. Well, now, if you know that you're protected by CASPA, then you can go after the money you're entitled to. So in that respect, um, you know, CASPA's original provisions are the ones that afford some of the best protection. Yeah, good point. Good point there, Michael. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, um, the law just recently went into effect this year, I believe. Um, I don't have the exact date, mm-hmm. but it's probably too early to tell any any sort of actual feedback, you know, in the field feedback. Have you heard anything at all? You know, we really haven't. Um, I'm kind of surprised by that. Um, the, the issue of the suspension just hasn't come up. Typically, um, we often advise our clients to continue to keep working on a project. Only because suspension, and again, I mean, look, John, you, you got us right back to the, I think the, the key point, which is the law can have its provisions, but what it really happens in the field could be different. And that is that if a subcontractor or a contractor decides to suspend for non-payment, if for whatever reason um, that entity, that business guesses wrong and, um, and, and they did not have justification for suspending work, let's say they were not entitled to the payment, uh, that it, the business was seeking, then that entity would be liable for all the delay damages that damages that flow from that suspension. So you got to be careful. Now, granted, if it's you know, you, you, uh, the if it's clear uh, um, on the project that look the work was done, there were no objections, and, and people moved on and then accepted it, then yes, um, uh, then go ahead and suspend and, and need not worry about any of the delays. Um, but if there's any dispute. 
about that or any uncertainty, then you just need to calculate that risk uh, and the liability that could flow from that. Even so, you know, a, a measured and calculated suspension, um, you know, could be an, an, another way to make sure that uh, a payment properly flows. Uh, but again, as you point out, with that kind of long period there, sometimes the work required uh, might be long gone, long done and completed before that suspension period ever uh, arises. Yeah, that's true. My my favorite is uh, whenever I find myself in the halls lobbying for for bills like this, and the various subgroups come up to me and they say, you know, if we could only work for your GCs all the time, we wouldn't we wouldn't have to do measures like this, you know. And I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, but when we do measures like this, you know, we have to change the way we operate just to make sure we're abiding by the the new law and the new uh, the new contracts. So. Oh, John. Yeah. And I don't have another question, but that's such a great point only because uh, I don't know. I know you, we, you and I have talked about this. Others may not know. But before becoming a lawyer, I was a teacher. And one of the things I learned as a teacher in terms of making rules or policy for people is you, you, you got to make your rules for the worst kid in class, not the best kid in class, unfortunately. So, yes, uh, it's good, good to see the same rule applies in legislation. Right. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> that's a good point, Michael. <laughs> I, Michael, I have a question for you. Sure. Uh, so uh, clearly you have a, a solid understanding of this law and, 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 and really know how it how it works. But if I'm a contractor or a subcontractor, what's the process that I have to go through to actually f make a claim or file under the under the legislation um, if I feel like I'm not being paid accordingly? That, that, that's a great question, Chris. Um, and. and it's actually a very uh, pointed and almost obscure legal question. We have this debate in the hallways of our firm all the time. Um, I'll give you the short layman's answer first, and then maybe I can get into some of the technicalities legally. Um, call your lawyer. <laughs> Start there, uh, quite honestly. Um, thankfully, they're unlike the mechanics lien law. CASPA is a little more forgiving and doesn't have quite the stringent requirements as to what you need to do to, um, to operate under it. Separate apart from some of the, the withholding and suspension provisions we already talked about, um, any time uh, we file, for example, in our firm, we file uh, complaints against either general contractors who are not paying or owners who are not paying, we'll include a breach of contract claim, we'll include a CASPA claim. Um, and we'll just do it as a matter of course, uh, assuming that there's an undisputed amount uh, for which payment is owed. Um, and I can get into later if you guys are curious to why I keep saying undisputed amount, but that's that's a separate issue. Um, but there is a sort of a, a stylistic debate as to whether you even need to have a separate CASP account and you can just put the CASP damages as part of the breach of contract. Either way, um, the, the way to bring it, the way to get recovery under CASP is to by bringing legal action. Um, you could arguably, if, if you have a, a, an owner or a general contractor who is not paying, you could just make a request or a demand letter, a demand for that payment, and ask for the CASPA damages. But I can't see too many owners or GCs who are going to cough up the interest and in attorney's fees unless there's a court order making them do it. So uh, going to court's the only way. Um, and very often, too, um, you know, you'll, you'll file that legal action and then um, find some sort of settlement uh, you know, that will account for some of those CASPA damages if you can. Otherwise, just their mere existence are enough to drive people to finding a, a way of resolving a dispute. Perfect. Th thanks, Michael. Yeah, no problem. Uh, and, and that's good for, for our listeners so that they understand. And, and uh, I kind of figured the first response was going to be call your lawyer because that's what I would be doing too. <laughs> um, so 
Another question for you. Sure. In your experience, is there a typical contracting category for uh, that that typically has to to fight for this this form of payment? Uh, you know, you mentioned an excavator uh, earlier. You know, like maybe there's a is it? Do you typically see this in like? tile contractors or, you know, residential versus commercial, like help us understand where that, that typically lies. Um, I haven't made any formal study as to any sort of percentages, although that would be a fascinating question to see, um, you know, and it would be a twofold analysis, who's not getting paid and then who's bringing CASPA claims. And, and they're not always coextensive with each other. It's always the same group of people. Um, but certainly I, I think as we all know, they're the, the they're, the pressure flows downhill, if you will. Um, and so uh, very often uh, you, we see a lot of subcontractors, you know, guys who are sort of towards the bottom of the food chain, if you will. Only, well, I should say the contractual chain only by way of just their positioning on a project. Um, they sometimes face a certain amount of pressure uh, in terms of you know not being able, not receiving the payments promptly or, or uh, payments that are owed or an attempt to try to leverage a negotiation uh, from the original amount agreed upon for work performed. Um, and, and so that that tends to be how it will play out. I think really to give a, a full answer to that, um, uh, Chris would be the subject of a whole nother podcast. We actually as a firm do a whole presentation on all the things that occur on a project where there are pressure points um, applied to subcontractors to um, uh, to trim, if you will, the amount they otherwise expected to collect for the work performed based on on the agreement they have. Um, so it's a really complicated dance that occurs throughout the life of a project. Um, I have also seen instances where owners sometimes just uh, um, aren't paying or dispute an amount of work. Uh, I think also, too, CASPA tends to come into play um, on some of the smaller projects only because it's such a great mechanism to help uh, obtaining payment um, uh, obtaining payment where there's, you know, you otherwise might think twice about going down a legal avenue to, to obtain recovery. Um, I think the other thing, too, to your point uh, in all of this, I know we're going a little bit of a, a tangent here, um, but because a lot of these issues arise throughout the life of a project, I do have to repeat my, my uh, warning earlier as to calling your attorney early and often, only because uh, th this CASP is definitely a situation or any kind of payment issue on a project where an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Uh, and early intervention can sometimes be very effective, even if your lawyer's in the shadows and un unknown to the other parties um, of the involvement, can provide some effective advice on how to proceed you know, through the course of a project. Little, little field from what you originally asked, but I think um, it was such a good question that it inspired a lot of that additional information. So thank you, Chris. No, I appreciate that. That's good. That'll help uh, help our listeners here in the Building Pennsylvania podcast. So that's great. There we go. There we go. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, I would, uh, I know we've had a rather technical and detailed discussion here about CASPA and, and some people might find it overwhelming um, and maybe just a lot of detail. And, and I know certainly there is, there's a culture and an ethic of, look, let's just get the job done. And I don't disagree with that. Uh, I think at the end of the day, um, that's what makes our industry great is that there's that focus on, uh, you know, uh, rolling up our sleeves, if you'll permit the cliche, um, and putting up buildings and structures that people can use and, and, and things that workers take pride in. But that said, um, it, it really, it, it's always a shame to me when I see people 
businesses, sometimes, you know, businesses that have been within families for years, generations, et cetera, being um, shortchanged any amount of money. Um, and so there are ways of doing both about rolling up your sleeves and getting the job done, but also making sure that you don't get shortchanged. And that's what I mean again earlier about uh, early intervention with your counsel. Uh, we take calls all the time at our firm uh, from people who are, you know, midway through a project, hey, what do I do? And we offer the guidance to say, okay, here's the end game. Let's see what we can do about today so we can safeguard your rights for later on tomorrow. And you can go back to doing what you do best. And that is, uh, like I said, uh, getting the job done. So uh, that that's our role and that's our philosophy. And uh, we've been doing it at Coenseglius for, for 30 years. Uh, I've been honored and, and uh, to be a part of this firm for uh, now since 2014. Um, and I love every minute of it um, for a lot of those reasons. You guys know as well as I do, we have a great industry and full of great people. Uh, it couldn't be more fun. Absolutely. Well said. Well well said. I agree with you. That's a great way to end it. Um, and uh, thank you for your time and, and definitely the technical information. Um, very good information. I just want to remind everyone out there, this is a new law. There's going to be a lot more questions. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Michael is a resource, um, but Michael, you want to toss your, your contact info out real quick, just in case. Oh, John, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, yeah, as you can tell, I, I kind of like talking about this stuff. But John <laughs> and I see each other at a lot of um, KCA events, and he, he probably has always seen me cornering poor guys, lecturing about tasks <laughs> and everything. So uh, it's all good. <laughs> it, it's all good. And, you know, it's, it's over a cold beer, so it makes it even better. There you uh, go. But, uh, <laughs> But uh, no, in all seriousness, um, uh, my contact information is on the web at our website, coenseglias.com. That's C-O-H-E-N-S-E-G-L-I-A-S. Um, I invite anyone and everyone to reach out at any time with any questions. Always happy to talk shop about this. Uh, always happy to help people out in the industry. Um, as you can probably tell, uh, I love our industry. I love being a lawyer and I love helping people. Well, thanks for the education. And I look forward to seeing you at the next KCA event. John, thank you for the opportunity to speak to the industry. Thanks, Mike. And uh, thank you for listening to the Building Pennsylvania podcast. Uh, more episodes to come. And uh, we will talk to you next time. Thank you very much.